Hello, this is Jason Hall, the co-founder of Slow Roll and Ride Detroit, embracing the bicycle as a mode of transportation to get around busy cities. And I'm Aniela Kuzan, co-founder and global lead of City Innovations, a team within Ford working with cities to place residents at the center of mobility innovation and design. City Talks is a new series from Ford where we discuss transportation challenges facing cities today and the innovative solutions individuals and cities are coming up with that's changing the way we move. This episode, we'll be talking to the city of Austin to learn how they're working to improve racial equity through transportation systems in East Austin. Kelly Coleman from their equity office is working to improve the quality of life for impacted residents. So let's get Kelly and Christine on the line. Hello, this is Christina. Hi, this is Kelly. Hi, Christina. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about equity uh, and transportation equity. We're so happy to have you here uh, to discuss this very, very important topic. You know, I, you know, we started talking about this the other day about this topic. And I went home and I did what I do all the time. I try to run things by people so I can sort of get a consensus of the, the, the temperature. And I said to a friend of mine, I said, hey, we're having this discussion about racial equity. And she corrected me immediately and she said, equality. And I said, no, equity. And then she said, aren't they the same? So it was perfect timing to lead us into this to really discuss the difference, first off, the, the, the difference between equality and equity. Because I think a lot of people, even that are, are in the know, think they understand but don't know. So I'll give an example um, local to to this city. Um, a few years ago, we uh, our city was able to secure some safe routes to school funding, right? And uh, we have um, nine districts, uh, well, 10 districts across the city. And... Um, we we just broke it into 10 equal um, lump sums, right? Um, and that's equality, right? Um, if, if we had have looked at um, historical disinvestment in certain communities, if we had looked at the walkability scores of certain neighborhoods, if we had had a baseline we were working from to say, hey, you know, a community, if a community is um, a score of an eight or above, maybe they don't need all the funding, right? Are there other places in the city um, that need more money? And, and if we had followed a process like that, um, where we, we talked to community or maybe even went out and tried to walk to the schools in the neighborhoods, we might have made a more equitable decision. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when, you know, when did the discussion of equity even come onto the table? Because it, it sounds like, you know, everybody was looking at this lens and saying, let's give everybody an equal piece of the pie. Was equity already being discussed at this point where they had made this move? Or was this really when the first time equity was being even brought to the table? Um, this was when the... Equity was still more shiny and new. And at this time, um, I think we had just hired or started the process to hire our first chief equity officer. Um, and the and really the only reason um, that we as a city um, ended up uh, creating that office was because the community pressed us to. 
people organized um, in the community to push folks um, to, to do something. So it's not like the city was like, oh, wow, we see these, you know, uh, outcomes and they're not very good for people of color. Maybe we should examine those policies, procedures, practices. That's not what happened. What happened was that community was like, this is a hot mess. Y'all need to take a look at yourselves, hold a mirror up to yourselves and figure out how you're creating these outcomes for people. So I, I'm curious, uh, Christina, you know, in your role, you know, looking at mobility initiatives, how have you brought this lens into your work? And it's fascinating to even just know what kind of roles are in government. How does the equity office and Austin Department of Transportation work together on these really complex issues? So I have, I think um, one of the things that's important to understand is when uh, you talk about equity, you talk about diversity, you talk about inclusion, it has to start at the very top levels. Uh, We can do trainings and we can do all these information sessions and try to do things from the middle or you know below, but really you have to have commitment from executive leadership to make that happen. And so uh, the city council and the mayor and city manager put together our strategic direction of, of 2023, which has an overarching umbrella of equity. And as the city defines equity, it's racial equity. We know that um, equity can be applied in other areas where um, people have you know been disenfranchised. Uh, the city is committed to focusing everything with a lens of racial equity. And so um, it was a great uh, opportunity to partner with the equity office, as um, I've done in other departments where I worked previously with the city. Um, Transportation is the second driver of affordability behind housing. And so it's crucial that we work uh, with mobility to find solutions um, for uh, people, especially uh, people of color and how that's impacted. You know, we've got history, as Kelly will probably talk about, um, from our plan of 1928, where we were racially segregated purposefully by a city government, and we are still paying the price of that today. Um, and so when we can do things where we Um, can increase mobility options and affordable mobility options for all people. Um, And we start with people of color, those who have the largest challenges, we know we can make solutions for the larger population as well. Kelly, I know that, you know, we were talking earlier and you mentioned that a really important part of that is following the leadership of people who are most affected by the issue um, or the historical issue at hand. What does that mean to you as it me- in relation to transportation in Austin? Since Christina brought up the 1928 plan, um, that was the first, that was the institutionalization of um, legal segregation in our city. And so before 1928, we had, um, about uh, maybe 10 or 11 um, Freedman towns around Austin proper. And so black folks could live anywhere at that time. And in 1928, we, uh, we removed services like trash, water, 
um, electricity from neighborhoods that we wanted um, to push further east, right? If we've historically um, neglected or disinvested in certain communities, the people who live in those communities are going to have the hardest time accessing um, services. So even thinking about, so uh, there was a study done in Austin. We're also the, we're the only city that's of our size um, that's still growing, that's losing its black population, right, in the country. And um, there was a study done um, where they asked um, hundreds of residents, you know, why, why are people leaving? Why are black folks leaving Austin? And the number one answer was affordability. The second was quality of schools. And uh, the third was um, not feeling welcome, right? And that's around like police interactions and, and experiences of racism. And so what that, if, if um, like Christina said, transportation is the second most expensive, second largest expense for a family, then that would, I mean, that's how you get to the grocery store. That's how you take your kids to school. That's how you get to work every day. That's how you go see your friends and family. That's, that's everything. And in the neighborhoods that we forced people to live in, um, we didn't build infrastructure. We didn't create space um, for those folks to have access to those um, services. So when I say we need to follow the leadership of the people most directly impacted, I'm talking about black folks and other people of mm-hmm, color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they- that's who just historically haven't, hasn't, they haven't had access. And I, I'm, I'm even less interested in access than I am in outcomes, right? And so a lot of times people think if we build it, they will come, right? Right, right. And that's not, necessar- that's not necessarily true because if somebody feels like it's not for them, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then they're, they're not, I mean, you know, we, <laughs> I'll give you an example. We had a, a this beautiful um, farm, uh, farmer's market here, right? And it's in East Austin where, you know, people of color have been for a while. And um, they even have like double dollar days when they take food stamps, wick, everything, right? People did not come. They built it. The people did not come and they didn't come because guess what? They knew it was not their space. Right. It wasn't for them. So, Christina, you know, you you did mention how transportation is the the second largest expense. And so, you know, again, thinking about that lens of affordability, how are you building this history and these intersectional issues into not just the city's plan, but some of your transportation initiatives, um, both longer term planning efforts, but also short term projects. So some of the things that um, I Austin Transportation gets to do is um, look at placemaking or placekeeping along with how we combine our emerging technologies to use either the current infrastructure that we have in the right of way to um, enhance that, um, to provide safety. Uh, Safety is really important for us. We have a Vision Zero initiative that we look at, which we know has disproportionately impacted um, pedestrian fatalities have disproportionately been for uh, people of color um, in Texas and in the city of Austin. And so we have to look at safety and 
We also have to look at personal safety because it's important that we provide an infrastructure that's safe. Um, we talked about it. Um, adaptability adoption is very important. So people will come and do something if they feel like it's safe for them to use, whether it's from you know vehicle safety or pedestrian safety, but also from a personal safety standpoint as well. So we want to try to look at you know how we look at place, how we look at the right of way uh, to make it safe. And then we wanna use technology in a way that is um, giving us information that helps us make better informed decisions. Um, we also have to understand that uh, safety for um, individuals can also be uh, personally identifiable information. We want to have some anonymity in the data to ensure that uh, the data is used um, in a way that helps increase technologies for that and not at the risk of people feeling like they're targeted um, and, and, and um, therefore they may not do an adoption of a technology if they feel like uh, they're not able to use it in a way that makes them feel personally safe uh, for those who are uh, from an immigrant um, population, we have to make sure that they feel um, that they're safe to move from where they need to go um, to their work, to their home, to the schools as well. I, speaking of technology and kind of where it can, you know, potentially shed light on new opportunities to provide value to residents um, and address some of these inequities, you know, we've been working together on the City One challenge, you know, for the last few months focused on East Austin. How have you brought residents, especially from East Austin, into this conversation? And what are some of the stories and some of the solutions that you've been surprised by uh, that have come out of that broader circle um, of discussion that maybe wouldn't have happened a few years ago? I can talk about that. And then if Kelly wants to add into that, it was one of the very first meetings we had with community stakeholders in the discovery phase was to uh, kind of identify, we had, we had already kind of identified that we wanted to talk about access to healthy living. And we really wanted to understand from um, a lens of what that looks like for people living in East Austin. And from that discovery session, um, Kelly and other members, other stakeholders were able to, to bring forth uh, the challenges of uh, um, black women who have um, suffer from, you know, um, losing infants during childbirth um, and black and black women also have a higher rate of maternal mortality um, and really bringing an issue where they may be invisible or not seen. If we did a broader brush, a broader stroke of just looking at uh, maternal mortality in general across different races, we may not realize that there's certain things that are impacting uh, not just women of color, but black women in that. And so if we weren't having those conversations, we wouldn't be able to identify that that's an area we need to continue to have discussions about. And maybe we don't solve specifically for that, um, but when we bring examples of that to people who are presenting proposals, um, it helps them be able to iterate and refine solutions that they have that can 
reduce the stressors that may be impacting a woman's health when they um, are, you know, have a family and they have children or they are pregnant as well. Um, and so those discovery workshops help put those stories in our minds so that where it could be easy for that to be a one-off story and we don't discuss it anymore, we can continue to bring that back. We continue to have that be part of the conversation. You know, we have to bear the torch and speak the stories of those who aren't here. Um, it's our responsibility to do that. And it's our responsibility to keep bringing that back um, and have those conversations, however uncomfortable they are, we have to keep talking about it. I totally agree. Um, the city, um, our health department actually has a program that works um, to close the disparities around maternal and infant, infant outcomes for um, for black women. And I think, um, you know, if we if we take into consideration um, if, if that analysis, so the analysis around maternal and health, maternal and infant outcomes for black women is that there's nothing wrong with black women. It's the experiences of racism on a regular basis that are helping create these outcomes. Does that make sense? And so we're, we're trying to approach things in a way where we're not fixing people, we're fixing systems, you know? Um, and I think that is is like bringing the analysis into the um, the conversation. And when Christina talks about iterating, it's like this superior growth model, right? So if we center the people who um, who are closest to the problems, right? Who are having the hardest time, um, and not for reasons of their own most of the time, right? It's not their own doing; it's our doing as a city government. Um, then that means that the people who are having an easier time will be fine and probably do even better, right? Because a lot of times folks think, oh, well, if we focus in, in East Austin or if we focus on people of color, then you're going to leave everyone else out. And that's not the case, right? It's this, it's this superior growth model um, sort of um, analysis as well. Yeah, I mean, that's... A crazy thing to think about is it has to start on that level, you know. Um, but once again, most people don't think about where to even begin to do the work. There's so many points of equity. There's transportation. There's unemployment. Um, you know, we can talk about really how that is a huge thing that we're dealing with as a people. You know, uh, people of color are dealing with how we get to work. And that is a major topic of equity that is rarely discussed in circles. Uh, right now, Austin, uh, we make up black folks make up about five percent of the population on a good day. Some people might say six or eight, but um, <laughs> uh, but we make up over 42 percent of people experiencing homelessness. And so um, and how does transportation connect with that? Um and I, I'm the child of a bus driver. So my mom's driven the city bus for over 25 years. And um, when you want to talk about folks who are who are being led by the people most directly impacted, my mom has relationships with some of everybody, right? And, and come into contact with some of everybody. And um, it's it's interesting because the approaches to problem solving that people take 
that actually have to navigate that problem on a regular basis is probably who we should be listening to, right? So like if, if someone who is experiencing unemployment and is a black a black man, right? Or even a, a Latina for that, for instance, they're gonna be specific barriers that they see and they're trying to navigate, right? Um, that maybe an institution would never even consider. And, and a lot of times uh, we're the ones or uh, people of color or community members, right? People outside the institution are usually the ones that will recognize when something doesn't feel right around uh, things like like um, discrimination or, or, or racism or even sexism for that matter, since you mentioned um, uh, intersectionality. So... You know, it's it's if you're not considering it and it's not in the middle of the room and I pushed, I'm kind of annoying um, in, in some of the meetings that we've had uh, with uh, with the, the Ford One Challenge. I'm like, if you don't center it, it'll be on the side, you know, and we'll see it play out in, in the different iterations of the um, projects that are being proposed. So. I think I think we have found the the challenges not to be annoying, but to be actually a source of a lot of learning. Um, I know that one of the things that was really impactful for our team was going back to the idea of of young mothers with children, kind of doing some scenario modeling about the types of trip chains that might be needed. For example, to a health clinic plus a trip to a daycare um, appointment and really seeing the difference in times that it would take someone to complete that trip between uh, Austin and East Austin, uh, the disparity being maybe a difference of 15 minutes in Austin and over an hour for a trip in East Austin and to really kind of see some of these dynamics um, show not only in the stories but in, in the data and making sure that we think about that um, through every phase of the discovery and then solutioning. What are some of the ideas that you've seen come out of these discussions or even the broader program that start to maybe not address in total, but take a bite out of those systemic issues uh, that can point to areas that we can lean into as we go forward. One of the things that I am interested in is how we can stack solutions together so that if we're looking at a, a ride option, that we can stack other additional services within that as well. Um, we, I think it's important for us to have always a focus on how we um, interact with one another, that we reduce social isolation. We can talk about like drone delivery or we can talk about, you know, um, grocery store delivery, but we don't get the opportunity to really understand that people um, are healthy when they get to interact with others. Mm -hmm that we need to um, make sure that they have that chance to go to the grocery store, to pick their own vegetables, you know, to hear babies crying 
because while we may think it's annoying, it, it can be the best thing that they've heard um, to get that chance to really be with people. And so we want to build in solutions that incorporate the whole human experience, not just what we think would be great. Hey, what if I can go, you know, open the front door and something delivered, I can get it in my pajamas. That's not a solution that, um, you know, we necessarily works for those that are the most impacted by the decisions that we make. So, yeah, I think someone called it Amazoni. I didn't know what she was talking about when she said it, but the whole getting everything in your pajamas and it was called Amazoni. <laughs> I am Amazoning every single day of my life. <laughs> but it's interesting you talk about the social isolation piece. I know, I think it was out of out of Austin, um, but we also have validated in stories we've heard from other cities as well that even though it might seem like a delivery service or a drone delivery service would be a great option for someone with a physical limitation that prevents their their mobility or um, some other you know reason why they might have difficulty going to a grocery store, including the fact that the buses may not provide direct routes. That in fact, they often want to go out and even have that bus ride because it is the moment of their day that they get to interact with with others. And I love, Christina, what you said about as we're designing these solutions or as we're really thinking about how they're applying uh, to real life, really looking at it from the lens of not how do you just solve the individual problem, but how do you build that human experience and really understand the needs of the broader set of needs that a person has when you're developing it. I know we're running uh, short on time. And so I understand that as part of the conversation around um, equity and transportation, the topic of sidewalk conditions has come up. That doesn't seem like an obvious connection can you talk about how sidewalk connections and transportation equity have anything to do with each other? So we, uh, Kelly referred to it um, earlier in the program. When we talk about, um, you know, transit stations, um, they can have a nice shelter, they can be shaded, but there are places in East Austin where there, um, it is dangerous. You actually would have to walk into the street to get to a, a bus station. So for people who are in wheelchairs or have you know, mo uh, mobility challenges, for uh, people with strollers and for you know, toddlers, um, sidewalks, and not just basic sidewalks, but wide sidewalks, sidewalks that are um, a certain distance from the roadway with speeding cars going by, you have to make sure that that infrastructure is there. The The best looking bus stop is, is no good if we can't get to and from their safety. Um, Austin also has particular challenges with being, while Austin is warm and, it, and it's a beautiful day today in 70s degrees in December, in July, it'll be, you know, sometimes we reach degrees of uh, 108, 112. And so shade is also an issue for equity as well. Um, and even thinking about trees and how we shade the pathway to get here and there, 
is important as well. Um, and so where we know that the built environment, there are parts of East Auckland that have just not been built um, with sidewalks, just something as simple as sidewalks has, has been a challenge for us. And so understanding where those, through a mapping piece, understanding where those uh, systems are failing to get people safely to, you know, transit stations or just to be able to walk, to do a complete trip by walking, you know, to a doctor appointment or a store. Um, those are the things that we have to look for in, in, in the transportation landscape. It's not just always the technologies. Um, but, uh, it's looking at how those technologies inform us about our own infrastructure. So if, if you can't get to the transportation, if you can't get to the bus stop or if you, you can't get, there's some places in East Austin where um, folks may not be able to get out of their homes easily, let alone to, <laughs> to somewhere else outside of that because of um, historical disinvestment in, the, in this area. So it's absolutely an issue and critical. So where does technology and new design and new investment play a role? What are some of the, the steps that you see really helping the city, helping industry to get a better picture of these issues? And then what targeted interventions or projects are coming up that you find most excited about? I'm excited to look at how we can stack solutions um, so that we can be as efficient as possible. Um, the other thing that I'm interested in is uh, I think we need to not tell people how they should get one place to another. Mm. Um, we should be able to provide them a, a, a whole menu of options uh, for true independence. We've done some um, um, pilot projects where we know that uh, people have taken uh, trips through rideshare, which they really like because sometimes there's a stigma attached with getting in a van that has a label on the door. Uh, and it either makes them not feel personally safe or it makes them feel stigmatized. We don't want to tell people that they can't have their own personal vehicle, or that they should be happy just taking the bus. We should always have bus you know, uh, transportation as an option. We also have scooters here. You know, Now we have um, mopeds, short ride share mopeds. Uh, we want to just say, here's your menu list, here's what the prices are, and we want to give you some affordable options. We want to try to increase efficiency there, uh, but just give people all these options so they can have their own, you know, make their own personal decisions about what's most comfortable and affordable for them. And so, you know, some people may want to do something that costs a little extra because there's a, a convenience factor in that. And we should honor and respect that as well. Agree. Um, I think that I'm most excited um, around. There were a few a few projects that we heard about that prioritize folks with cognitive disabilities, mm -hmm. and I was really interested in those because um, I don't think folks ever really consider that a lot of times it's around mobility. Mm -hmm. um, I liked those. I think that 
like Christina, we should be stacking them. We People need to have options. Um, people should be able to walk if they need to, you know, or if they want to. Um, and uh, here in Austin right now, we're undergoing um, uh, a new land development code process that will impact um, mobility and um, transportation, micro mobility, all of the everything. And um, as we as we start to do this work, I mean, it's it's important that we remember who we're doing it for and sort of the why. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the really sort of basic, you know, human centered thinking. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know if y'all follow um the news like that, but um, big things happen around buses and transportation. I know y'all, the bus boycott in Montgomery, and now you see what's happening in Chile, right? So these things are really important to the people, um, and I just think it's. I think that's something that um, that we need to keep centered in in the work that we do. We are creating solutions for people. Um, technology is interesting and ever-changing. At the end of the day, we have to have a focus on solving real problems for real people um, or a technology just goes on the shelf. Yep. All right. Well, I think we got it all. I mean, not all. I mean, this is clearly not one of those things you can solve in a 30-minute podcast discussion, but I really feel like we did touch on a lot of important topics here, the the mix of technology and actual human interaction that is needed here. And I think a lot of times we forget that when we talk about feelings and we talk about this, it all comes down to how humans treat each other and how we need to look at each other through a lens. So uh, Kelly, Christina, thank you for uh, coming on today. I'm really just glad we're having uh, the discussion about uh, racial equity in a forum like this. Um, Usually when we're having this discussion, Honestly, for me, it's in a coffee house or in somebody's living room where generally a lot of impact can't be made. We're talking amongst peers that have the same sort of thought. Um, I love that we're putting this out there that people can hear, you know, that how important racial equity is in everything. And I think that was one of the key things that she brought up is not only is it important in transportation and in city planning, but it's important in every facet of thought. I couldn't agree more. You know, we've been working with Kelly and Christina for several months now running the City One Challenge in Austin and have learned so much for them. And I think one of my biggest takeaways from the process and from our conversation today is just how important it is to really understand the context and the historical context behind a lot of these Mm -hmm. issues so that we're able to think about and build metrics around how we bring equity, not just equality, into our design and solutioning process. And it's incredible to see how the city of Austin has put that in the forefront Mm -hmm. of this conversation. Mm -hmm. I know it's challenged us a lot as individuals and as a team to really think more broadly about everything we do. That's it for this episode, and thanks for joining us. Don't forget to comment, subscribe, and rate us.